0: Well, uh, they're right. I'm going to take a little departure. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark here for uh, several months, and we're going to be right back at it next week. My amazing wife, one of the uh, super regional leaders, I call her Bishop Brenda, uh, will be speaking next week, um, uh, continuing Mark. But I wanted to just... Take a pause. Actually, John had scheduled me to preach something out of the Old Testament, and I am just ignoring that. He's on sabbatical, and so I can just do that. Maybe he's watching. I don't know. Sorry, John. And um, but I I, I want to talk about a passage that I've been actually just really living with um, in, in a very detailed way the past month, and it's this conversation uh, that Jesus had with his disciples out of uh, John chapter 15. And so, if you have a Bible, you can open up to John 15. Um, the past few months i 've actually been working on a uh, on a watercolor commission for a group of friends, and one of the things they asked for was a painting of a tree and so i 've been and there 's a lot more detail to it than that um, otherwise it 'd be really easy right and so uh, so i 've been actually spending a lot of time in the scripture looking at trees and the the analogies and the uh, symbols of trees and all that in the scripture. And I've been finding myself drawn to various passages like Psalm 1 and John 15. And then right alongside that, because I don't have enough to do in my life, I've been taking some calligraphy classes. And so I've been practicing writing out Psalm 1 and John 15. Yeah, there's an example. I'm, I actually, I discovered this whole line of calligraphy that I'm calling illegible calligraphy and it fits me perfectly. And so if you can't read it, that's kind of on purpose. It's consider it more like art than writing, um, which is what I've always done. My wife always has to ask me, or even like on the whiteboard, nobody knows what I'm writing. I'm like, it's so obvious, I can't remember. Um, so today what I wanted to do is a more in-depth look at John 15 because I've been spending time kind of writing it out, meditating on it, really listening to the Lord. And there's a couple reasons why this feels really important to me and it speaks to our current context. First of all, in, in the storyline of Mark, uh, we've been following Jesus on his way to the cross. And in this passage, in John's gospel, it takes place on that journey. And so this is after the Last Supper. He's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's having this conversation. It's like John 14, 15, and 16 with his disciples. And then right in the middle of this passage, it feels to me like uh, Jesus is explaining to his disciples what roots him, what grounds him in a way that he can withstand all the stuff that's coming in, in, his, in his incredible like, trial and the beating that they give him and the crucifixion. In John 15, it seems to me that he's explaining to his closest friends, here is how I'm getting through this. And it feels like that fits really well in our current context. The past couple years have been brutally difficult for many of us and our families. Uh, uh, it's been brutally difficult for churches. I know we've experienced a lot of like, just tough stuff as a community here, it's been, uh, as a global society, as a country. We've experienced crises that have exposed different weaknesses uh, in our lives. And, and just by way of highlighting, there, I, I think in the church we've experienced a couple crises uh, that, have, that this has exposed some stuff uh, in us as a church and in like churches in general, followers of Christ, especially in America, I'm speaking about. Like, I think there's two big crises. One of them I would call a crisis of discipleship that we've experienced. This is an issue of spiritual formation that Jesus is addressing right here in this passage. Overall, if I could be really honest from my point of view, this is just me speaking. Overall, I don't think the church has done a great job over the past couple of years with the COVID crisis. I don't think. I don't think people in our neighborhoods are saying, man, I'm so glad there's a Christian living in my neighborhood because it's really been helping over, the, over, over this crisis. I'm so glad that there's Christians in my city because it's really been helping. I'm, I'm not sure that that's actually been the case like it was in the first four centuries of the church when, when pandemics would hit and people were so thankful that the Christians were there. Like, I'm just not sure that that's the case. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure we had the capacity in spiritual formation and discipleship to really weather this absolutely brilliantly. I'm not sure it's been one of our finest hours. And then also, we've experienced a crisis of community. Oftentimes, rather than turning toward one another and supporting one another as brothers and sisters, we divided and we separated. And, and it's really difficult to watch that. Rather than listening, we've talked past one another. Rather than loving, we've kind of cut each other out of our lives. Rather than becoming curious about how somebody could believe something so incredibly different than what I believe, and they happen to be next door neighbors maybe, like we've just decided we're just going to, they must be the enemy in that. And ra- rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to build the fruits of the Spirit in our lives, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. We've often seen what Paul highlighted in, in especially social media amongst Christians, the works of the flesh and the divisions and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm looking at that, and it feels like what we've been through has actually brought a crisis of discipleship and community that we can see. It looks to me like Jesus is holding on to something in a way different way than we've held on to it. And so John 15 has been really meaningful to me, and I've been writing it out, albeit illegibly, and, and, and I've been really spending time with it. So that's the passage I'm looking at today, John chapter 15, the first 17 verses of that. If you have a Bible, open it up, John 15, verse 1, and let's just read that. Let's let these words kind of soak into our soul for a minute. I'll make a few observations, you know, for the next 17 hours, and then, then we'll move on. Sound good? Cool. Heavenly Father thank you. Thank you for your presence here, for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you for this conversation that John recorded that we could read and learn from. And Lord, would you speak to our hearts today? Whether we see what we've been through as a crisis of discipleship and a crisis of community or whether we don't see that, we do say, God, we need you. We need you in our lives. And we want to grow closer to you. We want to have the kind of relationship with you that Jesus describes here. And so, Lord, would you speak to us today? And would you draw us closer, deeper to you? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, it reads like this I am the true vine. It's not a great little passage. Man, I just picture, I don't know if Jesus was walking by a garden, he was walking by a vineyard at that moment. There was a huge gold sculpture in the temple that was uh, grapes and stuff because throughout the Old Testament, God had often called uh, Israel his vineyard. And so um, they could have been even walking by that. Regardless, what Jesus is saying is that you and I are actually meant to live very fruitful lives. In the first 5 verses this idea of fruitfulness is mentioned 6 different times. Like this is actually a really big deal. Like the whole purpose of a vineyard is that it produces grapes. The whole purpose of a branch is that it bears fruit. The reason that there's a gardener is to help the vine, to help the branches actually bear fruit. And wherever Jesus was at in this moment with his disciples, it's like he is just highlighting this thing like The reason that you have an apple tree is to get apples. The reason that you have a vineyard is to get grapes. The reason you have spring in Minnesota is to get snow. Like, that's the whole purpose, right? And so, yes, I'm glad you guys thought that was funny. If it snows again, though, it's not gonna be funny, right? We see this kind of intentionality of fruit bearing, it goes way back to the very beginning of the scripture, Genesis 1 and 2. Think about it this way, God created an absolutely perfect world, full of life, full of wonder, full of beauty, it's absolutely enormous and yet it's intricate, it's abounding with life that we can see and life that we can't see. And 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 this life that God put into our world isn't a static kind of life. It's like our world is spring-loaded with life. Every plant has seeds. Have you ever watched those cool slow-motion videos of, of plants and trees like releasing their seeds? Like you know the way the seeds pop. It's like those are really like every part of our creation is spring-loaded with that. God commands the fish and the birds and all the animals and the humans be fruitful increase in number. Like fruitfulness is like part of who we are. God's given life that has the power to generate more life. It's like we're bursting with goodness. And, 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 and then as God creates every step of the way, Genesis 1, he looks at it and he goes, this is good. This is good. This is good. And then he made you and he goes, oh, this is really good, right? It's okay to stand in front of the mirror in the morning and look at yourself with all of your brokenness and weaknesses and flabby stuff, or maybe, maybe you don't have flabby stuff, good for you, um, to look at yourself in the mirror and go, this is really good. Because like, God made you, it's like it's really good, right? And, and, and the world is not simply beautiful and good, it's a gift from our Heavenly Father. And then God placed the humans in the garden, you and I, like to nurture and to grow and to care for the fruitfulness that he created and to be fruitful ourselves. And so John 15, Jesus is highlighting, number one, your life is meant to be fruitful. It's meant to be stunningly beautiful. It's meant to stay fruitful. This past Saturday, not yesterday, the Saturday before, um, we had a memorial service for one of our own. We've had a couple. We had one last Saturday, too. There's one going on tonight as well. We had a memorial service for one of our own, Mark LaCour, whose life was amazingly fruitful. And it was interesting. One of the things interesting to me, even as I got to read through one of his journals and getting ready to do that memorial service, how he himself couldn't see the fruitfulness all the time. And, and I wonder, like, your life is meant to be fruitful, Sometimes I think it's a gift from God that he doesn't let us see all the fruitfulness of our life. Because I don't know about you, but I'd get pretty puffed up about it. Probably you would too. And yet it's a gift from God when he does let us see some of the fruit from that. And so, let that first part just settle in. As I've been writing, illegibly, John 15. Like, the word fruitfulness, like, I'm trying to like write it in a way that looks really cool and really hard for you to read. And, and I just kept hearing God say, Michael, aim at that. It's good to aim at that. It's good to aim at being fruitful with your family, with your children, with all the people in your life. That's like a good thing to aim at. That's something I want to do in you as an individual, as a man, it's something I think God wants to do in us as a church. And then Jesus talks about himself being the true vine. In the original language, it speaks of being a real vine. The real vine. And even the way he says, I am. You, you, you might not realize this, but in, John, uh, in John's gospel, he's organized his gospel around uh, seven I am statements that Jesus makes. Like, we'll put them on the screen. Like, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. Uh, Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty He says I am the light of the world Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness But have the light of life I am the gate Whoever enters through me will be saved I am the good shepherd The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep I am the resurrection and the life The one who believes in me will live even though they die I am the way, the truth, and the life No one comes to the Father except through me i am this is the last one i am the true vine and my father is the gardener jesus is pointing to himself john's highlighting this that uh that he's the fulfillment of everything the jewish people hoped and longed for again you may or may not be aware of this the whole bible tells one story and it's all how jesus is the fulfillment of everything god said he would do the fulfillment of all god's promises Like the Old Testament is not just a a picture of a different God. It's not just a collection of crazy historical stories. It actually has this one amazing theme, the entire Bible, a single story about how God is making promises to humanity and that he's gonna put right everything that we have broken, the mess we've made, and God's gonna make a whole new world and the entire story is centered around Jesus. The purpose of the church, the purpose of the Bible, is to help you connect with Jesus. Christianity is 100% about Christ. That's like the whole thing. Jesus goes, I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine. All right? So here's a couple practical thoughts from that. You and I aren't the vine. Jesus is the only source. Like if you want to be fruitful, you can't just connect back to yourself. You can't just graft a branch back into the own branch, right? It's just not going to be fruitful. It's just a circle that's going to wither and die. And anything else you connect it to is just not going to work. Jesus is the true vine. He's our only source. I think we need to be reminded that we're not the source of life. Because when we get that wrong, we lose the ability to be fruitful in any area of life. The branch's the branches job is to remain, it's to abide, it's to stay connected. I'll get to that more in a moment. And it naturally produces fruit when it's connected to the vine. Like Branches don't get connected to the vine and then go, okay, i got to bear fruit now. You know, there's fruit. No, you go, there's a hernia. It's like it doesn't work that way. Like the normal, natural thing, I could have brought up other things, but I didn't. (laughs) My my friends over there go, no, 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 don't do that, Michael. (laughs) Get back on track, Michael, get back on track. I'm trying really hard right now. Listen, where in your life might you be trying to be the vine? This is a great prayer. When I ask God these kinds of questions, if you have trouble hearing the lord we're gonna talk about that in a minute but if you have trouble hearing god this is a great question lord where in my life am i trying to be the source of life where in my life am i trying to be the vine where, where in my life do i think that i just have to like make it all work that i don't cry out to you and then so jesus is the source Where might you be trying to take responsibility for what's not your responsibility? (laughs) Don't place yourself at the center of it all. When you place yourself, when you place your ability, you place how others perceive you, you place all your results at the center, like it just, it won't work. Jesus is the only source. And then I think about this, there are real vines. He says, I am the real vine, I'm the true vine. That must mean that there are fake vines. If, if, if he says there must must mean that there are false vines, so not only could we try to take responsibility to be the vine. Sometimes, have you ever find yourself attached to a fake vine? Vines that we thought could give us the life that we're looking for, but they don't. You know, this is what happens, honestly, when we find ourselves addicted to pornography. I mean, it's a huge thing in our culture today. And what it does is it actually robs us of the real intimacy that God wants to give us in our relationships. That we've thought, you know, real intimacy is so incredibly difficult. I mean, have you tried to interact with the humans? Like, it's really hard. And especially if you're like one gender trying to interact with the other gender. They are so weird from time to time. It doesn't matter which one, right? We can all laugh about that because it's true. And the relationships we long for can sometimes just seem out of reach, and so we turn to using other people, whether in person or through pictures, to create a false sense of intimacy, a fake intimacy. And then we find that we're pulled more and more into addiction and dependence on that thing rather than on who God really is. And so Jesus is highlighting to his original disciples that their life is not found in their national or their ethnic identity, being the chosen people. It's not found in the temple, their, their place of governmental and religious authority, and it's not found in their religious rituals, but only in and through him. He's saying, I am. All those I am statements are pointing to that. It's not all the other things that they would have relied on let me talk about this differently for just a second verse 11 he says i've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete like complete joy have you ever had like complete joy like all the joy possible like i don't think i have i had just moved to town uh brenda and i were pregnant with our first child Uh, when the twins were winning the first World Series. like It was really funny because we got into an elevator. We were at a hospital. We got into an elevator. We had just had an ultrasound. We were pregnant, and everything was good, and we're coming down the elevator, and the guy in the elevator goes, how about them twins? (laughs) I looked at Brenda, and I go, there's two in there? (laughs) And he goes, no, the baseball team. And I go, screw the baseball team. There's two in there? (laughs) Like, I didn't even know the... I just moved here. I didn't even know that we had a team named that, right? (laughs) Listen, there's a whole lot of ways. I forgot how I got off on that story. Um, Something to do with joy. (laughs) Think of the ways that we settle for pseudo joy, that we settle for fake joy, right? There's actually a whole list of things that they use the acronym beeps if you're a neuroscientist to describe pseudo joy. Their behaviors, events, experiences, people, or substances. And so comfort foods, you know, a really good chicken pot pie, chocolate, sex, work, performance, approval, relationships, codependent relationships, excitement, gambling, entertainment, alcohol, other kinds of drugs. Anything that triggers a surge of pleasure for a moment is a beep. And beeps have strong potential to turn otherwise harmless things into really harmful emotional and relational and mental and physical dependence. So for the most part, there's nothing wrong with beeps, but when you try to make beeps into your true vine, you're headed for trouble every single time. And so when I say, when I'm talking about joy, biblically, I'm not necessarily referring to just happiness and excitement. That's different than joy. joy. defined in the Bible, and defined by the neuroscientists is the experience you get when you look into another person's eyes and they're really glad you're in the room. Joy is always relational and it's always attached to other people. Which is why the Numbers chapter six um, benediction, the Numbers chapter six, uh, not benediction, but proclamation that God gives the nation of Israel to say over one another every single day is so incredibly powerful. That, that number six thing is powerful because God is saying, my face is turned towards you. I want you to see the joy in my face. Lasting relational joy gives us this lasting flavor, let's say, of satisfaction and rest. Pseudo joy, like we hardly get them swallowed before we start craving more. And if Jesus is promising his followers one thing, it's that his life is in us, that our lives would be fruitful and that whole thing would be an experience of joy. Joy appears, the word appears more than a hundred times in the New Testament as a characteristic of Christian life. In fact, it's deeply related. The word joy and the word grace in the Greek are like almost the same word. But because we experience God's grace, there's meant to be this bubbling up joy within us that's fruitful. That's like a whole different picture than so much that we live with. Here's the big point. There's one true vine. Attaching ourselves to anything other than Christ produces fruitlessness and a lack of joy instead of fruitfulness and like outstanding joy. All right, that's all the first thing I noticed. Second thing I noticed in this passage is this. See, I told you we're going to be here 17 hours. There's a gardener who is always at work. There's a gardener who's always at work. The gardener's whole job is to make the branches more fruitful. The whole purpose of the branch is to bear fruit. The gardener makes sure that that's going to happen, right? And pruning increases fruitfulness, Here's the deal with grapevines, they can get like 20 feet long, and as they grow, they use up vital resources and energy that could be channeled into producing fruit. And so if you're a really good vine dresser, if you're a really good vineyard person, you go through like every year and you cut them back to the bare necessities so that the next year is more fruitful. Pruning focuses the life-giving energy of the vine towards the goal of producing fruit. Vines that are never pruned, Will produce less and less fruit year after year after year, less and less and less fruit. So, pruning is actually really good for you and I. Like, pruning is really good for you and I. There's a loving, merciful gardener at work in your life. So, how many of us, like, sign up for pruning? Like, oh man, God, prune my life. Why not? What are we so afraid of? Here's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of things that I'm clinging to for life other than God might get removed and then I don't have my motorcycle anymore. I'm just speaking for me, not for you. If you have a motorcycle, God bless you, that's cool. I love two wheels, centrifugal force, God made it. It's so much fun. We don't sign up for pruning because we don't want to lose the things that we're holding to other than him. Remember the prayer of abandonment I talked about a few weeks ago. I abandon myself to anything but your will, God. That's what Jesus prayed in the garden right after this. Where did that come from? It came from a love of being pruned. Here's the deal. God loves you and he's constantly at work in your life, pruning things that will keep you from effectiveness in him, keep you from fruitfulness in him. He's constantly at work at that. He starts cutting off stuff in your life that's not good. He he might cut off what you feel like is a great opportunity, or it might be a relationship, or an achievement. Difficulties and trials are often, I think, God's way to prune us, which is why James wrote this. Consider it pure joy. Pure joy. There it is again, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds... What was James smoking? (laughs) Maybe he understood the goodness of pruning. That the trials are often God's way to actually help us grow. Maybe he's highlighting the same idea. Here's the deal. God the gardener wants to produce amazingly beautiful sweet fruit in your life. And pruning is his way to get there. He will often sacrifice the good in your life to get to the best. Here's our issue. We settle for the good. C.S. Lewis wrote it like this. There's this whole beautiful city that awaits us and we're still playing in a mud puddle. There's this amazing like banquet laid out for us and we're making mud pies. And we think that's all there is. What if there's so much more that we can welcome in that? how might we have to pivot to see God's pruning as a source of joy really briefly verse three Jesus makes the statement about already being clean because of the words the logos that he has spoken to them just like us I'm sure when we read those passages about dead branches dead wood being cut off or some branches being thrown into the fire you begin to think am I one of those is that me I think Jesus is saying, listen, you already have the life of the vine pulsating through you because you've been living with me, participating with me. You already have this life within you. Nevertheless, God's gonna make you fruitful. And so then, our role is to remain connected, to abide. Ten times in this short little passage, Jesus distinctly tells them to remain, to stay connected, to abide. It means to live, to dwell, to stay, to reside, to remain. It means to trust, to savor, to rest, to receive. No branch has life in and of itself. It's utterly dependent for life and fruitfulness on the vine to which it's attached. And I see in scripture this really cool tension that I love between God holding us and protecting us and the importance of remaining. Here's just two passages. Romans eight talks about God holding us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor any height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's absolutely true. That's one side of the tension. Here's the other side. Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. There's a tension. God's got you, and you have to stay. And don't try to resolve the tension. Live in the tension. The tension is where beauty is. You don't get great music without tension between the notes and the sound waves. You don't get great art without tension. You don't get anything beautiful without that tension there. Like It's normal. That's really good. Hebrews also says the same kind of thing. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning at shame sat down at the right hand of the throne of god consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you'll not grow weary and lose heart god's got a secure hold on you and you have to work to remain connected right this is where the analogy of the whole vine thing breaks down because i've never seen a vine a, a branch trying to get off the tree and you and I have that ability. We have that choice to just walk away. So a couple practical thoughts. This is meant to be a constant connectedness. The work of connectedness, no matter how long you've been following Christ, never goes away. It's always work, there's no autopilot here. It's a discipline that while it becomes more natural over the years, it's a discipline that never goes away. You realize all of, all of life is like that, right? All of life requires discipline if you wanna keep getting better. This past winter, uh, because it was winter, uh, I started taking guitar classes. I haven't played guitar for like 20-some years, right? Um, I used to be like the main worship leader at the church. Back when it was really small, there were seven of us. I was the main worship leader. As soon as there were eight of us, we needed somebody else, right? And so I've been practicing guitar and playing guitar. It's like, I got to play every day if I want to get good. I'm trying to learn to finger pick, and I feel like I have a seizure every time I get like past the first measure, like like I it's it's not working right and and I I got a little thing to play harmonica while I'm playing guitar dude playing drums is so much easier it's like it's it's like chewing gum and rubbing your belly and patting your head and walking backwards and doing a jig or something all at the same time trying to do all those things Uh, if you want to get better at something here's the deal I'm horrible at calligraphy right now in three to five years you might be able to read it it'll be amazing like, if you want to get good at anything, you just have to dive into this and keep going. There's a constant connectedness. And then there's a relational connectedness abiding with, staying connected. And here's the deal Jesus is saying, we're abiding, we're remaining, we're staying connected to a friend, a friend who has chosen you and wants to be with you. Dude, John 15 is so beautiful. It's so good. And that's where the experience of joy comes in. Relational connectedness is the source of the joy. So practically, like, how do I do this? I'm so glad you asked. One of the books, uh, I want to give you a practical example. One of the books, uh, one of the things I've been doing for a little bit here at the Vineyard uh, since last fall is doing a little book club for people that want to read books with me. And so I picked three little books for summer. So we're going to do one in May, one in June, and one in July. And um, there's a place you can sign up somewhere if you want to know like, when and where they're going to be. right? Or I'll send out like, a Moments with Michael or something like that. But the, the first book is Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Uh, Brother Lawrence was a, a, a monk from uh, a few centuries ago. And this little book is a compilation of some of his letters and conversations. Uh, Brother, Brother Lawrence found it a constant struggle to recite the formal prayers in a meaningful way. And so to overcome that struggle he was having, he decided he wanted to practice to engage in a continual conversation with God, like never ending conversation throughout the day. And his main location for doing this uh, became the kitchen where his job in the monastery was to wash the pots and the pans. And so for 15 years, he found constant access to God in the kitchen as he served and practiced a simple conversation. And here's three things that he learned. He learned that God is closer than we ever thought possible. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. God's closer than we ever thought possible. That no one sees anything of our prayers. And it's nothing, nothing is easier than to repeat these little interior acts of worship throughout the day. It's like the easiest thing he learned to do. And that we can make our own heart, we can make our own soul a prayer room that we can retire to from time to time throughout the day to just humbly and gently and lovingly converse with him. And here's a quote. I do this by keeping my attention on God and by being generally and lovingly aware of him. My fixed hour of prayer are no longer anything other than a continuation of this same exercise. Keeping my attention on God, being generally and lovingly aware of him throughout the day right? And so if we want to abide and remain, there's a practice that we learn. So he's, he's, de- he's talking about developing kind of an increased spiritual receptivity, hearing the whisper of God in our lives. God has designed you and I. He's actually designed our brains for relationship with him, believe it or not. We are, we are handcrafted by almighty God to facilitate an experience of God's presence, now, real listening is difficult for us because we're on the move, we're getting things done, we're checking like our, our Instagram likes, right? we're constantly distracted. And that makes it difficult. So like for instance, when you're like, watching a show or you're scrolling or you're reading emails and then somebody comes in the room to tell you something and you listen to them without ever making eye contact, without ever changing what you're doing, you can often, just because your left side of your brain is so good at this, you can often just repeat back to them what they said without any emotional engagement. You know how that works? You've been able to do that, right? Like you hardly even mute the TV, but you can hear what they said and yes, you want me to go to the store and you need bagels and cream cheese, yes. But you never actually engage with them in their emotions. You never like synchronize with them with the other person. Like the nonverbal skills that are vital to the listening process aren't engaged in that. Similarly, Developing intimacy with God, listening to God, is not just about listening for the words. The words are important, yes, but it's sensing his voice with the other side of your brain. Let me, let me say it differently. Dallas Willard says it this way. The visible world daily bludgeons us with its things and events, pinching and pulling and hammering away at us. But instead of shouting and shoving, the spiritual world, the Holy Spirit, whispers at us ever so gently. So, so, Someone asked me this past week, Michael, what do we learn from the transfiguration of Jesus? You know what we learn from the transfiguration of Jesus? We learn that there's a world behind the world that we see that is very real and not very far away. And it is amazing. And it's the world where God lives. The Bible calls that the heavens. It doesn't mean it's just way up there somewhere. I think it's actually just another dimension where we're at. We see that in the transfiguration, it's amazing. But that's a whole other um, conversation that we won't dive into. God's presence, his availability is so close. It's so incredibly powerful. There's a, present rea- there's a reality behind our present reality that's amazing, it's almost unspeakable, and it's largely hidden from our view most of the time, even as followers of Jesus. So here's a couple practical things you can do to increase your spiritual receptivity. Staying aimed at being connected to the vine and living a fruitful life. First of all, turn off the screens for a little bit. In a millennia of Christian history, people who have done this well have treasured silence and solitude. There's something about stillness and listening that are really important. Why? Because it's the only way that we can begin to see behind that veil of our three-dimensional reality and notice what's really real and what God's doing. It's the only way that we can hear the whisper. You gotta turn off some of the other voices. Number two, read scripture. You just have to reorient our soul around the nature and character and the ways that God moves. The more time you spend listening to a composer, Van Morrison, the more time you spend listening, the more familiar you become with that composer's style, the more you recognize that composer's influence on many, many, many other musicians. Spend time in the word of God. Number three, Jesus talks about obedience in this passage. Put it into practice daily, over and over again. Jesus points to obedience. John 15, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. John 14, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them is the one who loves me. There are things you'll never know unless you give yourself to God in obedience. You'll never know. Uh, Number, whatever number, I on four, practice appreciation, gratefulness. The Psalms tell us, enter God's gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Giving and receiving appreciation in any relationship builds healthy relationship, whether it's human or divine. Appreciation flips a switch that turns on the relational part of our brains and prepares us for interaction. So my prayers always start there. That's the first paragraph or two when I'm journaling. Which brings me to my next point, write it down. I know it seems too simple in our technological age. I don't have time to write it down. Write it down. Even if nobody can ever read it, write it down. There's something that engages you in a whole different way when you slow down enough to write it down. It's like super important. And if I regularly, here's what I do. If my job regularly requires me to do computer stuff, then When I'm with God, I use a pen. If my job regularly requires me to use a pen, then I'm with God, I do something different. I get away from what I normally do for work, and I just want to interact with God in that moment. And it's really helpful. And if you don't like journaling, get over it. As I said, like one of the things I do is I just write out scripture. So I've been writing out John 15, Psalm 1 by hand with all different kinds of pens. And it's part of my Lenten engagement. Part of going through Lent is you put down certain practices, but then you pick up certain practices. And so one of the ways I'm engaging with Scripture is just writing it down. And I know it's, I'm horrible at it, but I won't be in like three or five years. And then last point, share it with others. Something amazing happens in our lives when we begin to share the transformation that we're experiencing with other people? What if you made it a goal to not only experience something from God, but then to tell three different people about it each week? Not something that happened three years ago, but something that happened this week. What if that was a goal? That's one of my goals. That's one of the things I love to do and I'm counting you of my three people. No, I'm not. It <laughs> has to be individual. It has to be face-to-face. I don't count this. That'd be cheating. Does that make sense? Those are like some helpful things. I think we're meant to be fruitful lives. As a church, we're meant to be a fruitful church. And I think some of the crises that have dialed up and the ways we've separated one another just showed the lack in our soul of really being connected to divine. And so... I think that we see in Jesus on his way to the cross, this incredible connectedness. And I don't know about you, but I want me some of that. All right, why don't you guys stand up? Time to pray. Are you having as much fun as I am? If you're not, you can. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for the way that you love us and you speak into our lives. Thank you for the joy that you want to bring into our lives. And so, Father, we just confess, I just confess for all of us, for me, for all of us, the way that we often go looking for joy in all the wrong places. <laughs> this is a 70s song, just came back to my mind. We don't connect to the true vine, the real vine. And, and, and often, God, we've just lost the discipline, like we didn't we, we failed to write in our journal for a day and then we gave up. Sometimes, you guys, I fail for like a whole month. But then I just pick it back up. My first line in there is, hello, old friend. And then I write, hello. And I keep writing. Nobody will ever read it anyway. They can't. So God, would you give us a renewed Hunger to press into you, to connect to you in really practical ways to slow down enough to hear your whisper, to pay attention. We're so attuned to the events of our day that we lose out on the things that you're doing. Holy Spirit, we just say we need you, we want you. Would you come, Lord? If you're on the ministry team, can you make your way up here? These guys are going to lead us in worship. And we just, we're, what we're doing is we're creating a space in the next few minutes for you just to quiet down and just interact with God. You can sing along to the song. You can come and get some prayer. If God's highlighted something, one of the best things you can do in Christian community is to let somebody else pray for you, like in the moment. Let them pray for you. Holy Spirit, would you give us a a hunger, a grace to turn towards you right now. Thank you that you love us, that you've chosen us, that we're your friends, that as we pray, you show up. For some of us, you're going through maybe some difficult pruning. pruning. Another picture is you feel like maybe you've been painted into a corner and the only thing you can do is cry out for help that's kind of an evidence of God's pruning. That's the best place to be. There's no better place to be than painted into a corner by God. And so if you find yourself there, come get some prayer. Let us stand with you in that corner. Let us pray with you. So these guys will lead us in worship. Thanks for coming to the vineyard. Get some prayer. Interact with him. Enjoy the kind of silence and solitude in this moment.